Uh, may you open our hearts and our minds to be more like you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to just ask a simple question, and you can feel free to answer or not. Uh, is Christianity a multiple-choice test? Do we get to fill in bubbles and decide which parts of the faith we like and which parts we don't like? Or is it kind of, Jesus said this, and that's the way it is? Um, you know, we have 2,000 Christian denominations, so it would be easy to assume that we have for centuries decided what we like and what we don't like. I mean, the first split in the church was in 1054, and we call it the Great Schism. And the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church split apart. It was the first split in all of Christianity. All right, this is why we have the Orthodox and Catholics today. And it really was over one simple thing. The Western Church said that the Holy Spirit came from the Father and the Son. Uh, and the Eastern Church said that the Holy Spirit came from the Father through the Son, and then there was the Holy Spirit. And so it's this clause. It's very, I don't know, to me it doesn't really matter a whole lot. But for the Western and Eastern Church, it mattered enough to split the church. Churches for centuries have fought over issues. But when I look at theology, I always say Scripture is primary. And so when we look at the Wesleyan Quadrilateral, which is how Methodists for the last couple hundred years, right, have looked at looking at theology, looking at Scripture, and they said Scripture is first, then tradition, because who would be crazy to throw out 2,000 years of church tradition? And then we look at reason, and then we look at experience. The world is kind of changing, right, where we look at all four of those as equals. And depending on what we like and don't like, we can go back to that multiple choice test. So today we're going to talk about loving the least of these. All right? Ephesians 4, 5 through 6 tells us this. Man, I'm really getting disappointed with this. My backgrounds are gone and everything. Here we go. Uh, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. There is one faith. I don't care if there's 2,000 Christian denominations. I don't care if churches can't agree around the world on what to believe. There is one faith. When we recite the creed together, we said we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Now we know that that is not the big C, that is the little C, for all of us uh, who are Catholic, that's the whole church. We believe in one universal church. We also believe this, that the word of God stays true. That the word of God does not change with the times. That God's word was the same 2,000 years ago as it is today. See, it tells us here in Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass dries up, the flower withers, but our God's word will exist forever. And then once again in the New Testament here, 1 Peter 1.25. But the Lord's word endures forever, 
And this is the word that was proclaimed to you as good news. God's word is neither modern nor ancient. It is now. It is forever. When we have struggles in life, we can go to the Bible, and regardless of what year it is, it speaks truth to our lives. Name one other book that does that. There is none. It's for me. And I've had the honor through schooling to study religions of the world and Islam and Buddhism and you name it. But there's only one faith that I can turn to the holy book that's Christianity that says God's word goes through time. The hard reality is sometimes we come across scripture that challenges us. It challenges our core beliefs. And for me, there is one member in here that has told me, he's sitting in the back, man, if you just preach something controversial, you'll get more people in. (laughs) So for me, this is best in politics, right? Where our faith questions our political standing. It just happens. It's hard to, to stay true to what a party says when the Bible says something different. And I don't care if you're on the left or you're on the right. And I have friends in Canada who have the same issue. Uh, they have a hard time when Scripture contradicts what a candidate is saying. We have to die to ourselves. Do I have that verse up here? Yes. Jesus said to everyone, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. And all who want to save their lives will lose it. But all who lose their lives because of me will save them. What advantage do people have if they gain the whole world for themselves, yet perish and lose their lives? So I can guarantee you all this, including me, that one of our lives will have to die to themselves. Either the life of the world or the life of faith. It's hard to have both. Now, what we're going to talk about this morning is how our life of faith then infects every part of our being. That our life of Christianity doesn't leave here. Now, I'm not saying anybody's guilty of that, but this is what the scripture is talking about this morning. See, we, we, we learn in these first few verses, when you have done it for one of the least of these, you have done it for Jesus. Verses 35 through 40. And I was hungry, and you gave me food to eat. Now I want, to think, I want you to think when we read through this again, how simplistic Jesus is being. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then those who are righteous will reply to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and give you clothes to wear? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And then the king will reply to them, 
I assure you that when you have done it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done it for me. Now what I imagine is Jesus sitting around a table telling the story. Every time I think of Jesus telling a story, I often think about Jesus. And I don't know if that's what he looked like or anything, but I imagine Jesus sitting around a table eating with his friends. Maybe that's just the culture I'm in. Everything happens around food. (laughs) But just prior to these verses, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. And if I am sitting with Jesus, I would want to know, you know, Jesus, when I die, am I going to get to go to heaven? I mean, here's the man that can answer the question, who can tell my future. I'd want some type of hope, some type of assurance that at this end of this life, it's not over with. So Jesus is talking to this, his disciples. And again, one of the most simple parables and orders from Jesus is given to us. Well, if you want to, get the, to the, go to the kingdom of heaven, you must do this. You must take care of the least of these. Now, we can often think of the least of these, right, as he talks about it. The poor, the prisoners, the homeless, the widows, the widowers, every one of these categories. But... What about the least of these that you see on a normal basis? Your places of work, your places of belonging, clubs you belong to. Here's some I'm thinking of. Maybe it's the co-worker that's going through a divorce. Maybe it's the next-door neighbor who eats alone every single night. Maybe it's the young couple trying to figure out life. Perhaps it's the young single parent that needs an extra set of hands. The father figure for that child or mother figure for that child. And perhaps it's the teenager who is in foster care that needs a family to adopt them. The least of these, of course, do include all of the things that Jesus mentions up here. But when the king of kings tells us to serve those in need, why would we do anything different? We have to live our faith in public. So I think of this TV show. Has anybody seen this show? All right, it's pretty good. It's got some pretty good things. Sometimes they'll come over your, my Facebook feed too. And this one case, he was in Alabama and uh, he was at an ice cream parlor. Did you see this one? And uh, this poor guy couldn't read. He was illiterate. Now, we've known some people that we could consider illiterate, have no ability to read. And maybe this morning, uh, one of you are unable to read. But this cashier makes fun of the poor guy instead of helping him, right? And you wait to see the reaction of what people will do. That's the premise of the, story, of the TV show. And you see people, one after another, that have been personally impacted by illiteracy. It's like 30-something percent of adults in America are unable to read or write, which was a lot higher than I thought. Uh, and so 
for the illiterate, I would definitely put them in this category that we as Christians, when we see it out in the world, we should be lending a helping hand. That's how we live our faith in public. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm guilty of, of not lending the helping hand or serving the least of these, just as like all of us this morning. But I really think when, if you haven't seen this show, uh, check it out. I don't remember what TV network it's on, but Google it. Look it up. What is it? ABC. It's on ABC. Look it up. And you could watch this whole show and say, you know what? As a Christian, how would I respond? What would I do? Second point this morning is when it starts getting hard in the rest of these verses. When you haven't done it for one of the least of these, you haven't done it for Jesus. So I loved, you know, growing up, and I, I'm trying not to repeat myself because I know I've said this a little bit before, is my grandma and them would say, you know, you got to meet God halfway. Uh, the Lord does for those who help themselves. Uh, I, I totally understand. I totally agree in some ways. But the purpose is God has already done all the work. We don't have to do anything. Um, and I know that kind of contradicts, for some of us, family tradition. This is what mom told me and grandma and great-grandma. I get it. We have to be active in our faith. I totally agree. But Jesus already did the work on a cross 2,000 years ago. And so if there's people that you see, it's easy to judge, it's easy to say, you know what, if I was them, I would do X, Y, Z. But Jesus doesn't do that to us. Jesus meets us right where we are. Uh, the woman at the well, probably one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible, where Jesus goes to her Right? Blesses her. And then he says, go and sin no more. Jesus always meets us right where we are, even in the midst of what we consider to be hell. Jesus is there. And in fact, uh, the original creed, right, it said Jesus descended into hell. He literally met people at the gates of hell. This is what Christianity is about. It's not an easy thing. Now I can tell you, when I read through these verses here, it says, Then he will say to those on his left, Get away from me. Now Jesus is also father. Jesus is brother. Imagine your father or your parent telling you, Get away from me. Now I'm sure all of us have had those arguments and fights where that might have happened. And you will receive terrible things. Go into the unending fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry and you didn't give me food to eat. I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't welcome me. I was naked and you didn't give me clothes to wear. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And then they will reply, Lord... When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't do anything to help you? And then he will answer, I assure you, that when you haven't done it for one of the least of these, you haven't done it for me. Now, 
when I think about this, I think about disappointing somebody. Has anybody ever told you you disappointed them? Yeah. Has anybody ever been a victim of character assassination? Yeah, I've been there. It kind of goes with this job. Um, it's hard, right? It's hard when somebody attacks you, and in some ways you have nothing you can do to respond to it. It's hard when a family member or a friend tells you that you disappointed them. Now, I don't want to disappoint Jesus, right? The King of kings, the Lord of lords. I don't want to get up to heaven and Jesus say, you know, Richard, I'm just really disappointed. Wouldn't that just be devastating? Now, when I look at Scripture as primary, and I look at who can be the least of these in my community, how simple is it for me to follow the words of Jesus here? It's so simple. There are people that are, of course, hurting and hungry, and and I'm really excited. We got a call from Save-A-Lot. I was supposed to announce this earlier, so here it is. We got a... (laughs) We, we got a call from Save a Lot. We got like 30 baskets of food. They're going to be delivered. They're going to be in the, uh, what's the room back here again? Harper's. No. Viv- there you go. Vivian Harper room. So they're going to be in there. We're going to have a sign-up sheet. So if you know someone personally that needs some food this holiday season, you can sign up and you can take the basket to them in the name of Jesus. Bring it to them. Right? We can do one thing, and in this case, we're not even paying for it. So all it is is you taking food to people and sharing Jesus with them. And I failed. Uh, I have failed to sometimes love people right where they are. Right? It's easy. You know, uh, again, we come from generational addiction, and so sometimes I just want to tell people, wake up and do the right thing. Like, I'm tired of hearing excuses. But I don't know if that's what Jesus would do. Maybe. Jesus did get rough. You know, he did turn up tables at the temple. He did curse a fig tree right before that. And sometimes we do those things. But at the end of the day, we have to meet people right where they are. And the least of these does not always include poor and the homeless. So we need to look at, for us, in our context, Who is God calling us to serve? Because the truth is, in the next verse here, he tells us we're going to be judged. And they will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous ones will go into eternal life. So Delilah was talking this morning about all choices result in something. Right? Uh, So the the big quote around my family that drives everyone crazy, (laughs) there's my wife right there. And I would tell my students this when I was their teacher is, life is full of choices. That comes from my grandpa, and that's what he tells everybody in the family. So life is full of choices, and for us, we have a clear choice. We either follow the words of Jesus, or we don't. Um, one of the hardest parts of this position, I think, um, is when people come through the door and they ask for assistance and by your uh, authority as the congregation and your funding of the congregation, I have to make decisions based on 
if someone deserves help or not. And most of the time, you can ask Amy, we give help right away. But it doesn't mean that people do not come here and lie to us. And that's already happened to me since I've been here. And I am so grateful for Tri-County for vetting people and being able to be a resource. And I don't have to be the end judge of everything. Um, But it happens. And I also learned by Alice and Amy not to give tell people where I live at Parsonage because they'll come knock at the door. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's a small town, so I learned that lesson. But I think Jesus tells us real bluntly, they will, go, they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous ones will go into eternal life. Now, I want to go to eternal life. I don't want to be, I'm not a pastor that's going to try to condemn people or or try to pressure you into a certain way. But it's like a kid, right? You tell a child, don't do X, Y, Z. And what does that child do? <laughs> so Ricky Lee, right now, his big thing is he likes to go in the fridge by himself. Anytime. So I, he woke up before me one day, and I looked next to me, and he's eating chocolate chip muffins in the bed. <laughs> so we we've talked we're trying to help uh fix this but jesus for us we're the children and so jesus is telling us as kids what he wants us to do we just got to learn how to follow it so let me let me say this i think i think we're we're doing a good job as a church we've embraced living our faith out in the public I have not, I've seen many of you out at Walmart, uh, in the community, and I can't say you're not Christians where you are. So, very happy about that. Uh, we don't always see each other every day, every hour. You, you guys don't see what we act like at home, and I don't see what you guys act like at home. But the point here is, is Christianity, again, is not multiple choice. Right? And so Jesus makes it clear what we are to do this morning with the scripture. He tells us to love people where they are. Uh, he tells us that we are to be a, a living witness for him. And so we're already doing some of that here at the church. Uh, we have fed people. We have financially helped people. We have brought uh, food to the sick, including us. Thank you. Uh, we have... Uh, fed first responders, which I, I appreciate. And I know there are many things that we do as a church uh, to, to serve and to be of God's people. And we're not just doing it for social service, right? Because any organization can be a social service organization. We're doing it because we're Christians first. So we got to remember that. That's the reason. So the question I think for us this morning is what is God calling First United Methodist Church of Chiefland specifically to do? Is there a specific calling that God is placing on your hearts? So I've had a couple conversations with people. One person has a calling to go and reach out to the community college on the other side of town. I think that's really awesome. I don't think there's one college campus ministry there. 
Um, there's not really a church connection, as, as far as I know. And we're going to begin exploring, is God calling us to reach out to that community? Uh, I've heard uh, people that want to reach out to the public school system. And again, I don't know how easy or hard that's going to be, but they have a heart to do that. And I've heard many other things. We just heard the 50 and, uh, what was the name? Beyond 50. Beyond 50 ministry, right? So I, I will not be invited. I know. <laughs> but God has called Nate and Dot uh, to work in that ministry. So our goal as a church is to equip people to do ministry. You don't have to be a seminary or Bible-trained person to go and do God's work. Hear that. So John Wesley said this. And for those that don't know, right, John Wesley started the Methodist movement. When you set yourself on fire, people love to come and see you burn. Now that could sound horrific. But what he's saying is the fire of the Holy Spirit. So what I'm asking for is a revival of the Holy Spirit. And I believe some of that is already taking place. When I hear people excited about ministry, that's the Holy Spirit. And so let's set ourselves on fire with the Holy Spirit, not literally. And let's see people that will come and be a part of it. So this is my, my charge, right? So we're going to, Amanda and I, right, we're going to, the baby is fixing to be here. If the baby is not here in the next couple days, and eight days, the baby will be coming out regardless. <laughs> so, after the baby is born, that, that gives us some time, I would love for the congregation to spend some time through Advent, praying about ministries that you are called individually to do. And we've talked about some of this. We, we've talked about... Uh, the, the words from Paul that all people are given gifts for ministry. A couple weeks ago we talked about this. When I was gone before Nate preached on a very similar topic. Um, we are all called. So if you're not already serving in some way, capacity, or if you are, are serving and you feel, you know what, the Lord is calling me to do something different, that's okay too. So I want us through Advent to really pray, how is God calling me to serve the least of these? How is God calling me in ministry? And then I would love to, in January, begin to have conversations with all of you individually on how we as a church can send and prepare you to do so. So that's kind of scary, I bet. Maybe. So no, I'm in prayer for each of you. And I am praying for God's conviction on hearts that this may come true. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. God, you have called us uh, to minister. God, we believe that the congregation uh, are all called to minister to the community that we live in. God, we hear these words from Jesus, which can be tough that, uh, God, this is your command for us. And with that comes judgment, good or bad, that God equip us all to pastor, to minister to people that need it, that people need to hear the word of Jesus. 
Help us be on fire as a congregation. May your Holy Spirit uh, transcend. May your Holy Spirit be shown through every single soul in this church. That when people see members of our congregation, they know Jesus is there. Help us, dear Lord, be better disciples, better followers of you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.